We turn in the Holy Scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We will read together the first portion of the chapter, verses 1 through 11. Let us hear the word of God beginning at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, unto the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Achaia, grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of thee. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your salvation for your consolation and salvation. And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also of the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us, ye also helping together by prayer for us, that for the gift bestowed upon us by the means of many persons, thanks may be given by many on our behalf. Here we end our reading in the Holy Scriptures. The basis of this passage and the entire Word of God, we consider the instruction of the first question and answer of Lord's Day 1, as we begin another cycle through the Heidelberg Catechism. Question 1 asks, What is thy only comfort in life? and death, that I, with body and soul, both in life and death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins, and delivered me from all the power of the devil, and so preserves me that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Yea, that all things must be subservient to my salvation, and therefore by his Holy Spirit he also assures me of eternal life, and makes me sincerely willing and ready henceforth to live unto him. A 
Apart from God's own words in the Holy Scriptures, are there any words more precious to the child of God than these? That I, with body and soul, both in life and in death, am not my own, but belong unto my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. And this is my only comfort in life and in death. Many of us know these words by heart. Many of us, at various times in our lives, have rehearsed them perhaps over and over silently in our grief and in our times of trouble and in the face of adversity and found that these words used by the Spirit have been a means of such consolation. Rarely is there a funeral where these words do not appear in some, po- in some form, whether printed upon the program or recited at the graveside or even used as part of the text for a funeral message. Powerful words in Lord's Day 1, and their power stems from the source of these words. For the words of Lord's Day 1 are really the entire gospel distilled into a few potent words that go straight to the heart, that lay hold of the heart. And because their content is the truth of Scripture, they are used by the Spirit in the life of the believer to impart the very thing that they speak about. True, abiding comfort. That's why these words are so meaningful and precious. That's why many of us, I would expect, have looked forward to coming back to this Lord's Day and hearing those words read again and hearing those words explained again because they never lose their power. And there's never a time in our life, unless we are spiritually sleeping, that these words aren't needed by us. What is your only comfort in life and in death. The catechism comes to us with the personal approach of the gospel. What is your comfort? It speaks to each and every one of us individually as as well as all of us together as a congregation. What is your comfort? And our response by faith is that I belong body and soul life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, who with his precious blood hath fully satisfied for all my sins and released me, freed me from the power of the devil. That's the gospel in a few potent words. And that's why the authors of the catechism led by the Spirit were so wise in making comfort the theme of the catechism. Because ultimately that's what the gospel is all about. And we can see that in the passage of Scripture that we read alongside Lord's Day 1. Where in verse 3 and in verse 4, God is described as the God of all comfort. Who comforteth us. 
And he comforts us in Jesus Christ and in that gospel of full and free, gracious salvation through him. God is the God of all comfort and his word is a word of comfort and his work for us is a work of comfort. So good is God that this is his chief care concerning us, that we be comforted in his truth and in the knowledge of who he is and what he has done for us. And this is how good he is that in the midst of this world, he gives us a comfort. That is all sufficient. He gives us the greatest good. Jesus Christ. The greatest good. Not just a good that balances out all the evil and the trouble that we face. So that in the end the scales are balanced. But he gives us redemption in Jesus Christ. The good that overcomes all the bad. The good that conquers every evil. The good that swallows up the evil. The good that forces even the evil to work for our good. That greatest good is beautifully summarized. In the words, I belong to Jesus, body and soul. Life and in death. There's many troubles and trials in our congregation. Many of you have burdened souls this morning. Many of you have shed lots of tears. Many of you are shedding tears. This is God's word to you, beloved people of God. Word of comfort. True comfort. May the Lord use his word this morning to comfort and uplift our souls. As we consider the first question and answer of Lord's Day 1, under the simple theme, my only comfort, and that theme is put in the first person so that we can take it individually. This is my only comfort. My only comfort. We're going to look at my need, first of all. The need that I have, the need that you have for this comfort. Then we'll look at my comfort, the comfort that meets that need perfectly. And then finally, my response. How I want to live in response to the comfort God gives me in his word. As you read through question and answer one, word after word, phrase after phrase, sheds light upon our Great need to be comforted. Body and soul. Life and death. All my sins. All the power of the devil. Each of these expressions calls attention to our great need. Starting with body and soul. That's who we are. That's what we are. As God made us, body and soul. It stands for all that we are as persons. We are human beings fashioned by God, body and soul. We are creatures and to be a creature means we are dependent. It means we have needs and we depend upon our creator to supply those needs for body and soul. The body can only be supplied with what it needs by the one who fashioned that body. And same goes for the soul and the inner life that we have as human beings, the life of our mind, our heart, our emotions, all of it depends upon the God who made us, the God in whom we live and move and have our being. 
That was true at the very beginning, in the perfection of Eden before the fall. And how much more is that true now as we live in this fallen world as a fallen people, groaning under the weight of sin, groaning under the curse. When there's brokenness and decay everywhere we look, when things don't work the way they're supposed to work, Out there in the world and in our own bodies and in our own minds and in our own souls. There's brokenness. Plans don't come to fruition. There's failure. There's futility in this life. The whole creation groans and travails and our own bodies and souls do as well. The very passage of time grinds us down as we age, as the body weakens, as we more and more become stooped over, and the parts of our body which were created to function beautifully and well begin to lose their function. There is sickness. How much sickness do we suffer from? From the common cold that keeps coming to those great illnesses. Cancer. Strokes that ravage a healthy brain. Dulled senses. Eyes and ears that don't work the way they should. All of those pills on the counter that have to be taken every day because the body is not functioning right. Doctor visits. Dementia. That eventually, it seems, steals a person's identity away. We could spend the rest of our time this morning talking about all of the dysfunction and trouble that we experience in the body and in our souls and in our minds as fallen creatures in the midst of this fallen world. We grasp our need for comfort, don't we? We don't just grasp it with our minds. We feel it in our bones. We feel it, do we not? Our need for comfort. We feel it in every ache of the body, in every stubborn sorrow, in every tear that falls from the eye. We feel our need for comfort. And body and soul. Because our bodies and souls are weak and failing. Body and soul. Life and in death, the catechism goes on. And as we ponder that next expression, we see that it sheds light also on our need for comfort. Life and death. The very fact that those two are paired shows us our need for comfort because God created life as his most wonderful creation and it wasn't supposed to have an end. Death shouldn't be there. Death is an alien intrusion into God's good creation. Death is the consequence of sin. Death is brought about by the just curse of God. The very fact that we put life and death together shows us our need for comfort. But before we get to death, just think about life. We've already talked a lot about life. All of the pains and the troubles we experience in body and soul throughout this life. Human life has become a theater of pain. That's why in our baptism form, in the prayer that's made right before the water is sprinkled upon the head of the child or upon the adult that is being baptized, there's this petition that closes the baptismal prayer. 
that they may with a comfortable sense of thy favor leave this life which is nothing but a continual death. That's a memorable phrase, is it not? Because it captures the reality of life as fallen creatures in a fallen world. Life, in many respects, is nothing but a continual death. Life has become the process of dying. Life is racked by so many pains and troubles. This isn't because the Reformed faith or our Reformed baptism form is a pessimistic and gloomy document. No, that expression rises out of a biblical realism and an understanding of the human condition here and now. This life is a continual death and that's what our children are born to. That's why that phrase is there in the baptism form. That's the life our children are born to. And thus right from the beginning, even as the water signifying Christ's blood is sprinkled upon their heads, we pray this concerning them, that they may grow by the operation of the Holy Spirit to have a comfortable sense of God's favor, that they may know this comfort, which is what they need in this life, which is nothing but a continual death. That same biblical realism begins the marriage form. Some people have complained about the gloomy beginning of the marriage form when it says, whereas married persons are generally by reason of sin subject to many troubles and afflictions, but that's not gloomy, that's realistic. That's this life. Husband and wife, even when they're united in that most blessed bond of marriage, that great gift of God, are going to face troubles and afflictions. And right from the onset, newlyweds must understand that, that this life that they now walk together, life's pathway henceforth, is nothing but a continual death. We need comfort, do we not? Then there's that death. That alien intrusion into God's creation, which is the consequence of sin and the effect of God's curse. That last enemy, that most dreadful and ugly enemy, death, who is the severer of relationships, the destroyer of human plans and dreams, the separator, whose taking away is final and irreversible in this life. Death, in the face of death shows us the abject misery of the human condition in this fallen world. We need comfort. We feel that need, do we not? And then the catechism goes on. Body and soul, life and in death. And it speaks of all my sins. All my sins. Here we get to the root of it all. Here's where all of this misery started. Here's why this world is a theater of pain. Here's why this life is a continual death. Here's the origin of it all. Sin. Yes, the original sin of Father Adam, who represented us all so that in Adam's fall, sinned we all. That is true. It all goes back to the original sin of Adam. And from Adam we inherit that corrupt human nature. But the focus of the catechism now is on my sins. It would have us recognize our sins. We may not pin the blame on Adam as if we would have done differently. The root cause of all that's wrong is human sin. Of which I am a partaker. Of which I am a perpetrator. 
human sin, disobedience to the God that made me, rebellion against the Creator that is worthy of my worship, sin, that horrific moral evil that merits a curse, that merits the killing word of God's wrath, that's His curse. The horrific moral evil that merits death. The horrific moral evil of mankind that subjected the entire creation to corruption and decay. All my sins, the catechism says. Focusing our attention on really what is the greatest evil and my greatest misery. And if we fail to see how bad sin is, it's probably because we fail to recognize how good God is and how glorious God is and how worthy He is of our obedience and worship. Contemplate for a moment who God is, the Creator, the Holy One, who is the sum of all perfections, who is worthy of all worship and praise. When we see the light and the glory of God, we understand how bad sin is. All my sins, the catechism says. All my sins. Not just a few of them. There's lots of them. Lots of them. And they're bad. They're very bad. They're sins against the most high majesty of God. And they're numerous. More than I can count. And when we think about that, we will say with our Psalter number, my heart fails for grief. My sins. Can't point the finger here or there. But I. I am the man. That sin that came from my human nature. That evil hateful thought towards my brother. That sharp unloving word toward my sister. That evil desire. That lustful thought. All of it. Where does it come from? It comes from me. My sinful nature. I daily do things. That deserve God's curse. How I need comfort. Then you think about all of the effects that sin has. More destructive than any disease. More destructive than any physical infirmity. More ruinous than the process of aging. Is the destructive effects that sin has. Particularly the destructive effects that sin can have upon the most important facet of life. Which is our relationships. God created us as relational creatures. And the reason for that is that God himself is relational. God is the one only true and living God. One God, but three in person. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he is a covenant God within himself. Eternally, he has lived that perfect and most blessed life of love and fellowship within his own divine being. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God created us. To be relational like him. To stand first of all in fellowship with him. And to live our life for him and with him. But God also created us to stand in relationship with one another. 
And God has given so many beautiful relationships in this life. Relationships in marriage, in family, friendships, parent-child relationships. All of the rest. And sin so often brings such misery and destruction to those relationships. That's because sin at its heart is covenant treachery. That's what Adam and Eve's sin was. It was betrayal of their covenant friend sovereign and entering into a dark covenant with the devil. It was a relational, a covenantal sin you might say. And that nature of the first sin can be seen in in so much of the sin that goes on in this world. The sin that goes on in our lives, our sin. We sin against one another. We hurt one another. There's division between brothers and sisters in Christ. There's division in homes. Strained friendships because of unresolved sin. Even broken homes and divided families. And few things hurt more than that. Just as the first sin was covenant treachery against God. So too our sin. Which follows the pattern of the first sin. So often like an acid upon our relationships. Do we not need comfort? All my sins. And then the catechism goes on. All the power of the devil. The devil's out there. The devil that the scripture calls the evil one. The accuser. The tempter. Our adversary. A foe most terrible. Who is always busy seeking to hurt us. Laying traps. Springing temptations. Plotting against us. He feeds on our misery. Our misery delights him. He has no other goal than to trap us in sin. By nature he has a hold on us. And even after the work of God's grace in our hearts. He still has an in with us. Our fallen natures are like an open door to him. We need comfort in the face of all this evil and trouble. Having taken a few moments looking at these words in the catechism to heighten and expand our awareness of our need. Now, let's see what my comfort is. My comfort. The comfort we need. The only comfort that can stand up in the face of all of that. Everything that we've talked about so far. The one comfort that stands up in the face of it all. And conquers it all. And sustains us through it all. Our only comfort in life and in death. The God-given comfort. The gift of grace. That is salvation in Jesus Christ. What is your comfort, beloved? The short answer can simply be the person and work of Jesus Christ. He is comfort incarnate. He is the comfort of the God of all comfort. Sent to minister to us in every dimension of our need. And he is the only one who perfectly answers every dimension of our need. I belong to Jesus, we say. I belong to him body and soul, in life and in death. 
He's my faithful Savior who takes me for His own, who holds me, who keeps me, who preserves me, who delivers me from and through all my misery into that greatest of goods which He has secured for me by His work, the supreme good which is life and fellowship with God forevermore, life that is free now from all of that misery. That's what's coming. That's what He's gotten for me. He is my comfort. Jesus Christ, redemption, belonging to him, answers all our need. And let's see that now. All of those expressions in the catechism that we've walked through that have shed light upon our need. Let's look at them again now and see how Jesus Christ is the answer to them all. Body and soul. The God who made you, who fashioned you, who created your body, who crafted your soul, who united your body and soul together, who breathed the breath of life into you, who fashioned your mind gave you your emotions, made you who you are. That God does not forsake the work of his hands. Though you and I are sinners deserving to be forsaken of him, worthy of the place where the curse drives the sinner, namely the abyss called hell, the place of separation from God, the place of eternal punishment, though that would justly be our end. God does not forsake the work of his hands. But the answer to every need that we have, body and soul, is Jesus Christ, to whom we belong. The catechism condenses that great gospel truth of redemption and expresses it beautifully. I belong to Jesus Christ, body and soul. He purchased me with his precious blood. And what did he purchase? Not just part of me, but all of me. He purchased my body. He purchased my soul. He purchased all that belongs to my body and soul. He leaves nothing and no part of me unredeemed. To come get me. To come rescue me. From all the misery of body and soul. Jesus Christ himself took on body and soul. To be our comfort, he was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He became a real man with a real human body and a real human soul. And in that real human body and soul, he experienced the full gambit of human sufferings. He identified with us in our misery. He came down to us in order to lift us up. He drew as close to us as is possible for him who is God, in order that he might draw us back into the life and fellowship of God and restore to us all that we forfeited in the fall. He became man, took upon himself body and soul, so that in his human body and in his human soul, he might suffer not only the full gambit of the infirmities and afflictions of this life, but that he might take the curse 
that should have driven us, body and soul, into hell, take that curse upon Himself on the altar of the cross and bear the fullness of God's holy wrath against our sins which we commit in body and soul to redeem us, body and soul. So that now, with the utmost confidence, you and I can say, I'm not my own anymore. But I belong, body and soul, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. We are, as 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 says, bought with a price. And now our body and soul reside in the eternal safekeeping of the God who made you and redeemed you through Jesus Christ. And now what light that sheds upon all of the miseries we experience in body and soul. The sicknesses, the aging, the pains, the dementia, the strokes, the cancer, and all of the rest. None of those things have the final word. None of those things own us. None of those things have a claim upon our bodies or our minds or our souls because Jesus owns us, has redeemed us, every part of us, to share his glory. That's the comfort that sustains us when we go through those things. I'm not my own. I'm not cancers. I don't belong to any. But my faithful Savior. I'm in his safekeeping. Every last part of me. Body and soul. Life and death. Life and death. Pondered how hard life is as fallen creatures in a fallen world. Life is hard. Life is rough. Life is nothing but a continual death. But now the comfort of the gospel is this. The Christ who died for us turns that life which is nothing but a continual death into a pathway to eternal life. The comfort that meets our every need in this life is the comfort that in life, in all of life, in the whole course of life, every step along life's pathway, in life, I belong to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I belong to Him, everything I am, body and soul. And that means the entire life that I live, all of my living, all of my going, all of my doing, every part of my life belongs to Him now. He purchased me, and He purchased my life for His own. He rules my life. He guides my life. He's the good shepherd who gets me through the fires and the waters and the dark valleys and gets us to that destination that he has placed at the end of this life for us. The Father's house of many mansions. And throughout all of this life, Though there is all of that misery that we've spoken about, we can say what the catechism says, that he so preserves us that not a hair can fall from our heads without the will of our Heavenly Father. 
Oh yes, hairs fall from our heads. Much more than hairs. But every single one of those hairs falls at his command and under his control. Not one is lost apart from his will. And not one hair falls that does not serve his good purpose for us. And so Christ's redemptive work now changes everything about this hard life. Christ's redemptive work changes our suffering. It changes it from a destructive power to a sanctifying power. Lord willing, we'll look at that more in the sermon this evening. Belonging to Christ means all things now belong to me. I am not my own. I am His. But now because I am His and am not my own, all things belong to me because all things are His. The meaning being, all things must work together for my good because that is His will for me. And so the Catechism rightly says, all things must be subservient to my salvation. And what a beautiful line that is. All things, all inclusive, everything that is a thing, is subservient to your salvation in mind and mine. Subservient. What does that big word mean? Children, do you know what subservient means? Subservient means to be a slave, an underling. There's our comfort in affliction. Because we belong to Jesus Christ, our affliction is now our underling. Everything that takes place in this life is a slave that can do nothing but serve him who is the master, our Lord Jesus Christ. Everything in this veil of tears, everything in this life that is a continual death is a slave now, compelled to serve my good and my eternal salvation. Everything is Christ's bondservant subservient to His will. His will which is only good. His will which is revealed to us in the cross of Jesus Christ. Our eternal salvation. Everything. Everything. Is Christ's slave. And that means our slave. Working our salvation. When life is hard. When the afflictions are so difficult, we can't answer the question why. We can't see the good coming out of them. We have this truth. We have this comfort. Those things belong to Christ. Those things are Christ's slave. And that slave is sent to do me good. And that slave can do nothing but obey the master's will. In life and in death, the catechism says, in death too. It's not just that we belong to Jesus Christ in life, but then death comes and snatches us out of his hand. No, he has redeemed us body and soul in life and in death. You see, death, that last enemy, death is included among all those things subservient to your salvation and mine. 
Death is a slave too. Death is Christ's bondservant. And oh, death looks fierce, and death is fierce. It bears its fangs. It shows us its ugly face. It has much power, we may say. But it's under the power of Christ to whom we belong. Christ who has conquered death. So that even death the the divider, death the severer, death the separator can never take you away from Christ. Can never take you away from what you have in Christ, namely eternal life. Can never permanently end your relationships with beloved fellow saints and family members who are taken to glory. Death's power is broken. Death is the bondservant of the Christ who died and rose again. And so even when death takes, it never owns what it takes. What it takes never belongs to it. God doesn't grant ownership to death. Death is a slave. And as a slave, death just has the menial task of transporting someone from life to life. That's death's job when it comes to the child of God. It's a slave with the menial task of transportation. Death transports from this life to the better life. From this life to eternal life. Death is that doorway through which we pass into the fullness of what Christ has accomplished and earned for us. Death is our slave. Because we belong to Jesus Christ. And death has no power against that comfort. This is the comfort that enables you to stand. And though you shed tears, stand with hope at the bedside and at the graveside. His death is defeated by the Christ who died and rose again. The Christ who gives us everlasting life and who will come again and raise our bodies and make them like unto his glorious body. Comfort. Body and soul, in life and in death. I belong to him. All my sins. The next phrase. All my sins. We saw that that was the root of all of our misery. Here's our comfort. Christ rips up our misery by the root. He not only addresses the consequences of sin, the effects of sin, He not only saves us from those, but He saves us from our root problem, our sins. That's what Jesus is above all, as the angel said to Joseph in Matthew one twenty one, that He would save His people from their sins. If there's anything that's mine, and just mine, it's my sin. If there's anything that's yours, that belongs to you, it's your sin. If there's anything that justly I should be left alone to deal with, it's my sin. But the Christ who came to take you, and to make you his own, he takes your sin as well. He who had no sin, took 
ownership of your sin and mine. To bear it for us. To pay for it for us. That's what the catechism says when it explains that our faithful Savior hath fully satisfied for all my sins. That is, He made the atonement. That payment of infinite value that met all of the demands of God's justice and fulfilled the demands of His law so as to wipe away our guilt and to take away the punishment and the curse our sins deserved. That's what He did on the cross. There's the essence of redemption. He satisfied for all my sins. Every single one of them. Every single one of them. He's taken care of. Taking care of it with his precious blood. Christ came to take in order to give. He took my sin. He took my place. He took my punishment. He took my curse. He took my hell. He took the fire of the holy wrath of God so that he could take me and make me his peculiar treasure and possession, body and soul and life and in death. He took all that was ours so that he might own us. And owning us, he might give us all his riches. My sin, which was scarlet, as white as snow. My sin, which made me deserving of death, worthy of hell. Which would otherwise separate me eternally from God and from life and from joy and from peace and from all that is good. Gone. I belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ who hath fully satisfied for all my sin. And having done that, He has also freed me from all the power of the devil. He's broken the stranglehold of the devil over me. As powerful as Satan is, he has no more power over my life such that he can have his way with me. Christ alone will have his way with me. His good and loving way. And so included in that wonderful phrase that he so preserves us that not a hair can fall from our head. We belong to Jesus Christ and that means Satan can't even pluck a hair from our heads. Unless it be the will of God our Father and our faithful Savior. And even there, Satan too, Satan as well as death, belongs to all of those things that are made subservient to our salvation. Though Satan is a roaring lion, though he yet rages, he too is a slave. The bondman of Christ. Whose every plot, whose every design, whose every snare, despite his intentions, is sovereignly turned by God against him for our salvation. What is our only comfort? The only comfort that stands up and meets every dimension of our need. Christ Jesus, our Lord.
Beloved, apply that personally. Apply this to your troubles right now. Your sorrows. Your pains. None of these things shall have you. None of these things shall have their way with you. None of these things can keep you. Because you belong to one. You belong to Jesus Christ, your faithful Savior. Being His, you can never belong to any other. That's our only comfort in life and in death. That's our all-sufficient comfort. And that's a comfort that demands a response. Our only comfort demands a response. And the response that comes from knowing and living in this comfort is a life that is changed. A life that is marked by joy and peace and hope. That doesn't mean, of course, that this comfort is like a magic pill that takes away all of our troubles and afflictions. That's not how God works. We have this comfort even in the midst of the waters and the fire. And this comfort carries us through. This comfort gets us through. This comfort upholds us in the midst of these things. There's no such thing as a magic affliction canceller. But the truth of the gospel worked in our hearts by the Spirit changes us. It changes us so that we are able to bear these things with uplifted heads, with confident faith, looking unto our Savior to whom we belong, body and soul, to follow our Lord Jesus, even through suffering, along that path unto glory. It works the change in us such that we have an inner peace and an inner joy. I'm safe. I am. I belong to Him. No matter how much suffering I have in this life, no matter what befalls me, that can never change. I'm His. And because I'm His, I can endure all things. And I can do all things through Him who strengtheneth me. The God of all comfort gives me a comfort that is always, always enough. When we live with that comfort, and we have that inner joy and peace, it shows itself this way. I'm willing and ready henceforth to live unto Him. I want to. Belonging to Him, I want to give back to Him what is His. My whole life. As a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving. Our comfort gives us not only hope for the future. Our comfort gives us meaning and purpose in the here and now. And this is meaning and purpose that doesn't change even when we're in affliction. Even when we're suffering. Our meaning, our purpose is always this. To honor and to glorify the God of our salvation. And render unto him what is his. All that I am. All that I am which he has purchased with his own precious blood. And thus our comfort defines and directs our life to its chief end. That I may glorify God and enjoy him forever. 
Live in that comfort, beloved. And let that comfort direct us to action. Second Corinthians 1 points out one other way that we live out our comfort. By comforting one another. That's verse 4. The God of all comfort comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. Sometimes I don't think we do justice to this effect, this fruit of the comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. The comfort God gives us should turn us into comforters of one another. Not that we take the place of God, but that we're means in God's hand to bring comfort to one another in our times of need. This comfort should be contagious. It always seems like the bad things are contagious. The cold spread around. Bad news spreads around far quicker than good news. A spirit of, of discouragement so easily sweeps through. The bad things are always contagious. But shouldn't this comfort be contagious as well? When we have this comfort in our hearts, when it's our joy and our peace, share it. Go to that brother or sister who you know is downcast. Comforting doesn't mean you enter into their life necessarily and try to fix all their problems. We can't do that. But a kind, compassionate word, an act of love, a genuine expression of care, That's comforting one another with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted of God. And that's one of the ways God uses our own afflictions for our good. Sometimes he gives us afflictions so that from our experience of that affliction, we are equipped to minister to someone else in the body of Christ who is going through a similar affliction. God uses that to uniquely Equip us to comfort that brother or that sister with the comfort wherewith we have been comforted of God. Let that be among us. That one of the beautiful fruits of living in this comfort is. that We care for one another. We comfort one another. And all this to the praise and the glory of the God of all comfort. And his son, Jesus Christ, to whom we belong, body and soul. Amen. Let us pray. Our faithful God and heavenly Father, we thank thee for the comfort, the real abiding comfort that we have in Jesus Christ. Take thy word and hide it in our hearts this morning. So that this word may speak to whatever our need is at this present time. Whatever sorrow, whatever burden we are dealing with. That it may lift our hearts. That it may strengthen our hands. And that it may fix the eyes of our faith upon our Lord and Savior. Who is our comfort. And send us forth in this Sabbath day. Spiritually refresh. And built up. In the gospel of Jesus Christ. This all we ask for his sake. And in his name. Amen.